Welcome to Where You Are. I'm Michelle Horn. Getting to school or managing a whole day at school can be really hard for some children and youth due to anxiety or other related challenges. And it can be challenging for parents and caregivers to know how best to move forward. We recently held a two-part webinar series in collaboration with the Vancouver School Board and Vancouver Coastal Health, Child and Youth Mental Health. And we're really happy to be able to share these webinar recordings with our podcast listeners as well. Today, you'll be hearing part 2B of this two-part series. Part 2B is specifically geared towards parents and caregivers of high school-aged youth. It covers how to develop a roadmap for successful school attendance based on your youth's unique situation and needs. This will include how to set the stage for success, how to collaborate with their school, and how to break down goals into manageable steps to help you and your teen move forward together with confidence. The presenters are Dr. Sarah Anderson, Julie Collette, and Paula Fran. Dr. Sarah Anderson is a registered psychologist and postdoctoral fellow in the Mood and Anxiety Disorders Clinic at BC Children's Hospital and the Department of Psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. She is also a psychology associate at Cornerstone Child and Family Psychology Clinic. She provides clinical services to children, youth, and families and conducts research to better understand anxiety disorders. Dr. Anderson has a particular interest in supporting children and youth who experience difficulties attending or staying in school. Julie Collette is a registered clinical counselor and mental health and substance use clinician in the school liaison role with Vancouver Coastal Health, Child and Youth Mental Health. In this role, she provides clinical supports to children, youth, and families, as well as clinical consults with Vancouver School Board staff for students presenting with complex mental health needs. Julie specializes in collaborating across systems to provide wraparound care for families. Paula Ferran is a registered clinical counselor and has worked as a teacher and counselor in various schools for the Vancouver School Board for over 20 years. Currently, Paula is a district counselor providing professional development for teachers on building the foundations of positive mental health through social and emotional learning and mental health literacy. During the question and answer session at the end of the presentation, you'll also hear from two additional panelists, Dr. Rosalind Catchpole, who's the psychologist and clinic head of the Mood and Anxiety Disorders Clinic at BC Children's Hospital, and Natasha Gates, a Vancouver School Board District Secondary Counselor. Please note that the information in this webinar applies to the context in BC, and some information is specific to the Vancouver School Board. If you're in another jurisdiction, please consult your local health and school authorities for further information. All of the video recordings are also available from our website, keltymentalhealth.ca, or click on the link in the show notes. And now here's the webinar. Thank you so much, Michelle, and thank you for everyone for joining us here today. Um, So as Michelle mentioned, this is part two of a two-part series. Um, And if you missed the the first part, the take-home message is really to make sure that you're settled as a caregiver. Because when you're feeling more calm and supported, and when you have a good understanding of how anxiety shows up in your child, you're better able to support them with challenges around getting to school. So we'll be speaking for about 40 minutes and then have some time for questions today. And we'll be covering a brief overview of anxiety and how this shows up in high school age youth, general strategies to support anxious youth, building a team, harnessing support from your child's school, and concrete steps to help your child attend school. So you may leave this talk still having some questions unanswered. So feel free to reach out to Kelty if you have additional pieces that you would like answered. So as was covered in part one, anxiety is a normal and adaptive human emotion. 
And a certain amount of anxiety is, is actually helpful, like being able to respond quickly to a car speeding towards you or feeling motivated to practice for a presentation like this one. But sometimes anxiety is experienced as uncomfortable physical sensations like stomach aches or headaches or increased heart rate or breathing, as well as distressing emotions like panic or fear and worry thoughts that indicate to us that something bad is going to happen and to avoid that thing. And while the experience of anxiety is uncomfortable, it's not harmful and it can be a false alarm. So it sounds counterintuitive, but avoidance or eliminating anxiety is, is not what we want. Uh, whereas what we do want is coping with or being able to face those fears or anxiety. And it's important to remember that learning to cope with the stressors of high school is actually a really important goal that will set your kids up for being able to cope with other challenges that inevitably will arise for them at different points in their lives. So in youth, we see all different kinds of worries. And common ones include worries about peers and fitting in, worries about certain subjects or perfectionism or time management about academics, concern about the future, and difficulties with those performance aspects of being in high school, like giving a presentation or speaking up in class, uh, among others. And when youth are really struggling to get to school, often there are other things that have happened along the way that might make it harder for them, like their sleep schedule being wonky or feeling nervous getting out of the house or learning challenges or substance use to manage their anxiety or social stressors, among others. So when we're thinking about supporting teen school attendance, it can be really challenging for caregivers to know where to start and how to help. And so of course, this is a talk about anxiety-based challenges getting to school, but we do need to acknowledge that youth who uh, may have experienced a trauma or a difficult life circumstance, and we need to think about the hierarchy of needs. So in some circumstances, school attendance is not the top priority, and there may be other foundational needs that need to be addressed first, and that's okay. Um, so in particular, if you have a youth that's experienced a trauma or is substance using, that's really the time to access some additional support, which we'll talk about today. So challenges with getting to and staying at school exist on a spectrum from attending school regularly and maybe experiencing a bit of worry on the far left to not having attended for weeks or months on the far right. And this webinar is really uh, meant to apply for families at all stages of that spectrum. So these struggles might be longstanding for your child or they might be very new in the context of the pandemic. Um, so we'll provide some practical supports that really are the foundation to all levels of need as well as some additional levels of intervention that might be required if your teen hasn't been attending for a longer period of time. So the first step in this process is really about taking a holistic view of your youth, starting with the areas they're doing well in. So how is their sleep? 
Are they getting regular daily physical activity of some kind? Do they have supportive friends? Are they managing or keeping up with their schoolwork? Are they coping with changes to school routines? Or are any of these areas ones that they're really struggling in? And I'm gonna say a little bit more about this in a minute. We also wanna look at how often they're getting to school. Are they attending consistently? Are they missing a few classes here or there? Um, or have they not attended for, for weeks or months? So of course in Vancouver right now, there's a component of remote schooling for many students within the Vancouver School Board that are learning on a quarterly system. So if this applies to your teen, uh, look at what times seem to be the most difficult, like transitioning back to an in-person class from a remote one, for example. It's also important to take stock of what's going on right now when it's harder for your teen to get to school. So for example, are they always asking to leave during a certain school subject or class? Or is it around a specific friendship or social issue? Or when there's a performance demand, like a presentation or a group discussion? And what was going on around the time when it first became difficult for your child to get to school? Was there a particular social conflict or maybe some family challenges? And also of importance, how distressed are, are you as a caregiver and, and how upset is your youth when it's time to get off to school? So as we talked about in part one, do you notice yourself balancing that scale of parenting between being too soft and giving in too much or too harsh and becoming angry or impatient? And two, we want to notice non-judgmentally, what is my youth doing when they're not at school during school hours? Are they sleeping all the time? Are they on devices? Are they getting extra attention, for example? And very importantly, who is on you and your youth team? So whether these are professional supports like school staff, medical or mental health clinicians, or social and community supports like friends or neighbors or spiritual leaders or otherwise, um, we, we often see caregivers taking on the burden of trying to get their child back to school alone. And while you really do play such a crucial role in this process, no one person can be the one to fix your team's challenges. And it really does require a coordinated team effort, or you might find yourself becoming really burnt out and exhausted. So when thinking about your youth as a whole, it can be helpful to think about the developmental needs that teenagers have and whether these are, are being met. So with teens right now, we need to follow the assumption that anxiety is going to be compounded by something else. So pieces that might be missing like social connection or family connection, physical activity, spiritual, cultural, or community connectedness, building towards academic growth, leisure time, just an installation of, of hope. Um, all of which of these for teens really contribute to making meaning in their life and driving their purpose, building that self-efficacy and self-esteem. And this is not to say that all of these elements are needed. And for, for each youth, this is likely to be very different. And, and the pandemic has certainly made fulfilling 
some of these areas, many of these areas, very challenging. Um, but if you notice that, that many or maybe even all of these are missing for your child, are there some creative ways that you might be able to help fill their buckets back up, so to speak? So when I'm working with parents of teens lately, we're spending a lot of time talking about these things. How can we shore up their coping and, and build their resiliency and figuring out which areas of well-being we can really build on? So for me, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really focused on all the things I couldn't do. And as time went on, I started to find new and different ways to do things to fill my bucket, like going on walks with friends or making special dinners to look forward to or exercising outside or spending more time virtually with the people that I care about. So in this talk, we're focusing on anxiety-based challenges with school attendance, but there are additional things that can layer on top of anxiety and make it even more difficult for the youth to attend school. So things like social challenges, such as having conflicts with friends or maybe struggling a little bit with social skills, missing out on friend time, or having additional barriers to making and maintaining relationships academic challenges like struggles in certain subjects or difficulty keeping up with schoolwork. And we're seeing a lot of executive functioning challenges as well. So these are our management skills, so to speak. So things like having a hard time organizing their schedule, keeping track of classes and assignments, breaking down assignments into smaller pieces, and remembering to log on to virtual class for example. And of course, all of these things have been amplified in our current public health situation. So are there ways to decrease demands in these other areas, like getting help to facilitate engagement in an area of interest with your youth peers, getting some extra academic support if they have learning challenges, or being strategic about class planning if there's difficulties with organizing and time management? So we know that anxiety leads to procrastination and procrastination leads to more anxiety and distress and avoidance. And so by targeting some of these other areas, we can help take a little bit of that load and burden off. And I think we can all relate to this really. When we're nervous about something, we tend to put it off. And the more we put it off, the more nervous we get and so on and so forth, none of which is, is very helpful. So step two is all about setting the stage. So we recognize it is challenging to support teens towards healthier and more balanced choices and routines. I've raised four of them. And believe me, as caregivers, we are all human and there's no perfect parent. We also know that attention to any one of these four areas can significantly help in reducing anxiety overall and can set the stage for more successful planning for school attendance. So sleep. When our kids' sleep routines are really out of whack, it's extra challenging to get them to school. Or if they're staying up really late and then sleeping in, the same applies. The challenge is multiplied. So we want to qualify that given these unprecedented times, routines are simply more challenging to maintain, especially for youth many with changing school routines, 
and more at home time with home-based learning. So you're not a bad parent or bad caregiver if your youth's routines are off. And we don't expect you to be able to shift your youth sleep schedule on your own. Um, but what we are hoping is that collaboratively having a conversation with youth about what might be getting in the way of their goals, poor sleep likely being one of those, can definitely help as a good place to start. So here's a few tips. And yes, as you can see, napping is listed here, specifically for youth, because we see this a lot when working with young people. And not only is it common, it's really problematic. So what do you do about sleep challenges with your youth? I again empathize and recognize this is not easy to shift. Given youth are moving towards autonomy, and at the same time, sitting down with your youth and exploring what their goals are can be helpful. For example, is it to graduate this year? Or maybe it's passing grade nine, or even passing one course such as Science 10. So working backwards from your youth's self-identified goals and writing down small realistic steps towards the larger goal, whatever that may be, can help you as a caregiver to be more on the same page with your youth. So for example, if the bigger goal is passing Science 9, yet they cannot get up for class as their sleep time is so late, the small step towards the larger goal of passing the course may be to be in bed by 11. So then they might start their bedtime routine at 10.30, incorporating three to five concrete steps to calm themselves before sleep such as a warm shower and getting in bed at 11, maybe listening to calming sounds, and then turning off the lights by 11.15 and trying to be asleep by 11.30. So physical activity. Research shows physical activity is one of the best treatments for anxiety and low mood. So again, we're talking about things that we can do, that we can control, not only as youth, but as caregivers. So raising awareness about how to set the stage for increased success with facing anxiety and making small steps toward increased school attendance. So screen use, again, setting the stage. We're not saying that screen time is bad. All young people have some screen time in their life. And for youth, this can be a really good and helpful reward for school attendance. This topic is always a bit of a challenge for families, especially now with youth spending more time at home during the day and parents and caregivers possibly working from home too. And we also acknowledge that screen use agreements with youth require flexibility, and it is dependent on each family's particular situation. And being aware of all of the above can support more of a balance with screen use and the type of screen use that your youth may be engaging in. And so at the end of this presentation, we refer to Dr. Shimmy Kang's website for specific resources to support this challenge. Additionally, the Kelty Center also has a new podcast recording called Keeping Tech in Check. So look for that on the Kelty website. So again, in setting the stage, there are tips to manage anxiety. And again, we want to continue to explore what is within your control as caregivers. 
So first, we want to validate your youth's efforts and successes in even the smallest of steps. Second, rewards cannot be overemphasized and will, of course, need to be individualized depending on the likes and interests of your youth. So here's where screen time can be a really valuable commodity to provide extra time as a reward for following the school plan, which again will be co-created with you and your youth and the school team. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So the third tip for managing anxiety is positive reinforcement for the small successes or efforts. Be specific with your praise. For example, I noticed you were dressed and ready for school today, and I know how hard that was for you. So the fourth tip for managing anxiety is when youth are anxious in the moment, help redirect or distract. And you can even model your own breathing strategy to bring down your own anxiety in the moment. And one final strategy to manage anxiety is to support and model regular and predictable routines and structure in the home as much as possible. For example, regular mealtimes can provide comfort and predictability to a youth's day. So step three is all about talking to your child's school. And often parents worry about when and if it's appropriate to reach out to the school when issues with school attendance begin. Reach out as soon as you identify a problem, either alone or with your child. Caregivers can encourage their child to reach out to the school counselor early and share information. And wherever not possible, parents can do the same. Parents are a valuable source of information, as are your children, and help to provide a more comprehensive picture of your youth's functioning. Sharing information early in the process helps build a clear picture on what might be a barrier to attendance and what supports may be appropriate. The school counselor will likely utilize universal supports that build school connectedness and a sense of belonging in the school community including building on the social and emotional curriculum. Sometimes it's hard to know who to reach out to in secondary schools when typically students have eight different teachers. This can be very overwhelming for parents and caregivers. And because of this, it is best to connect with your youth's grade counselor and they can reach out to the necessary staff in the school and access the school-based team to help problem solve and explore supports for individual students. School-based team members may include resource teachers, school counselors, and school psychologists and speech language pathologists. Other school staff connected with the student may also be invited to be part of the team. And this could include support staff, indigenous education enhancement workers, multicultural workers, and district staff and other community school team workers. Also youth or parent engagement workers from the VSB SASI initiative, which is an engagement and substance youth health promotion program. So the school-based team discussion may explore possible learning complexities, social, emotional, and behavior supports and challenges. The team may recommend individual interventions such as additional testing or specific supports from district school personnel, such as speech language pathologists or school psychologists. Some students 
also have an individual education plan to support their learning, behavior, or mental health. And school counselors can also be the connection for community mental health and medical or other support professionals. Working towards students feeling success at school often involves open and regular communication between family, school, and community supports. And this team is really critical and necessary in supporting your youth with school attendance. Home and school meetings help build supportive and collaborative plans with students. If medical or mental health professionals are involved, that regular communication between the school home and medical or mental health team is so vital for consistent planning and updating information. Individual plans will be living documents that are flexible in nature and shift according to individual well-being goals and on team reviews of progress. They may also include addressing environmental changes such as changing timetables or class schedules or maybe seating arrangements in the class, working in a quieter area in the school and other accommodations and supports. Sometimes developing something like a plan B where students can practice coping strategies in alternate school spaces or a check-in and check-out system with a designated school staff member like the school counselor can be very helpful. Caregivers may also discuss with the school a possible gradual entry to build on student successes and review any academic concerns. We know that attendance and well-being are so foundational for building academic success. Individual plans will, of course, vary and may focus on building strengths, problem-solving, and coping skills. The school team will plan to support students to move forward with the developed plans and foster developmentally appropriate independence and autonomy. So planning with the school will help your youth identify places that can aid in increasing their attendance at school. School counselors can help identify rooms or areas within the school building that your youth can feel more comfortable at first as they work to gradually increase their time at school and in the classroom. Some youth can find coming to the building really overwhelming. So developing plans that include smaller and quieter spaces and identifying those adults that youth feel connected to within the school environment can be very helpful. Also district programs include a variety of settings available to students in the Vancouver School Board. Sometimes students find more success in a program with a smaller setting and a smaller staff to student ratio. If you would like to explore other school options, talk to the school counselor and they can help explore options and complete the necessary application. So the next step in this process is about making a realistic plan together with your youth and in coordination with their school and any mental or medical health professionals. So focusing on those areas where your child may be more motivated to engage with. So whether that's seeing friends or participating in some kind of activity or attending a certain specific class or 
seeing a certain teacher or school staff member, it really will depend on, on your youth. But collaborating with your child is essential to this process being successful because although they, they might be worried or disengaged or outright prickly at the discussion of, of going back to school or of attending regularly, um, if we don't have their buy-in for these first few steps, it will be really, really difficult to make progress. So in these discussions, take note of, of your messaging as a caregiver. Are you validating the challenge and at the same time communicating your confidence? So for example, I hear you that you feel really anxious at school. That sounds incredibly hard. And I'm so impressed you've been able to get to go the days that you have. I, I know you want to get back to school and to see your friends, but that feels impossible right now. Why don't we start by planning a first step together? Sometimes we see these first discussions, including goals that are too challenging for a teen. Um, for example, someone that's been away from school for more than a few weeks might be really overwhelmed by the idea of going to school and participating in class for even 30 minutes. So instead, can a goal be for your, for your child to visit the school grounds outside of school hours as a start, or maybe to meet for a few minutes with a trusted counselor or a teacher? So this all really hangs on good collaboration with the school, such as what Paula discussed about talking to a school counselor about a return to school plan and highlighting options, for example, to return in audit mode or to begin with limited or sometimes no academic ex expectations to begin with. And it's really important this is all made very transparent for your child. So they know what to expect about their return to school. So as a caregiver, focus on what you can control here and goals that your teen will engage with. And don't worry if you start small because this work is all about taking baby steps and really capitalizing on momentum of progress. And depending on how long these challenges have been going on for and how much school your teen has missed will really help determine where to start. And if the plan doesn't seem to be working, perhaps there was a step that was missed or two or three steps in between. Break it down into even smaller, more achievable goals that your youth can manage and practice several times on each step before moving to the next one. So it's oftentimes helpful to write out the steps so that they're clear to you, they're clear to your youth, and they're clear to the other support members and school team so that everyone is on the same page. And this involves delineating very specific, realistic, clear steps. So we typically recommend that each step be practiced a few times before moving on to the next one to prevent us from moving too quickly and your team becoming overwhelmed. Um, although this really does depend on your individual child as well as what the step is. Moving through these steps incrementally in a step-by-step -step fashion is really important and making sure not to move through the, the steps too fast, but also not getting stuck on one step for weeks or months. And if the jump to a next step is too overwhelming for your child, can we identify if there's an in-between step 
they could move to next instead. Completing the steps on the ladder, each step would ideally be followed by praise, specific praise, as well as some kind of feasible reward, like earning a few more minutes of video game time or a, a token towards maybe a fun activity they've been asking you about. And don't underestimate the power of praise. Even for teenagers, they really do need it just as much as younger kids too, even if they grumble or complain about you gushing over their successes. Like clearly stating, wow, I'm so proud of you for visiting your teacher today. I know how hard that was for you. So how do we break that cycle of school non-attendance? And what does this look like in practice? So if you ask your teen to do something they're worried about, their anxiety will initially increase, which of course is really hard to see as a parent. However, at its peak, our bodies cannot sustain that high level of anxiety for long, and the anxiety will come down on its own as your child continues to stay in that situation. However, let's say, for example, your child is worried and is negotiating about going to school on the morning of, their anxiety is increasing in that moment, and they're really distressed, and then you say, okay, fine, you don't have to go today, but you have to go tomorrow. So they'll experience an immediate sense of relief and a decrease in their anxiety. But without having had the opportunity for that anxiety to come down on its own and for them to be able to face that thing they're afraid of. So the lesson they're left with here is I feel better because I avoided that hard thing. So the second and third and 10th time your youth uh, who face their fears is put in that anxiety provoking situation, their anxiety will be a little bit less than the time before and will similarly go down on its own. And after many repeated practices or exposures, the anxiety will de decrease, it will continue to do so until the point in which it might be manageable and no longer even a concern. However, that teen who avoided facing their fear, such as the teen whose really well-meaning parent allowed them to stay home, will experience even more anxiety the next time they're asked to face their fear and go to school, and they're going to be even more hard-pressed to do so. So the message we really want to send here is that we're never seeking to get rid of anxiety, even in professional treatment. Rather, we're seeking to cope with the anxiety and minimize avoidance. So for example, many of us may remember the first day we started a new job. Uh, for myself, I felt pretty nervous and uncertain about what to expect and um, even had a little nagging voice in the back of my mind saying, can you really do this? Are you cut out for what they're expecting? But after that first day and after the second day and 50th day and 200th day, I felt better and better and more comfortable in that setting and knew more about what to expect. But even when returning from a couple weeks away from work, that worry and little voice came back again. It was smaller this time because when we stop doing hard things, even for a while, that anxiety can creep back. But when we are brave and face our fears, it gets easier and easier the more we do it.
So the spectrum of intervention that we're talking about, and as we spoke about earlier, is there is a variation in how long and how much of your child's challenges with school attendance are impacting them. And the intensity of the intervention will also vary. While prevention strategies may be sufficient for youth on the left side of the spectrum, youth with more moderate to severe excuse me, to severe school avoidance and non-attendant require equally comprehensive, intensive, and coordinated intervention. And of course, this is not a cookie-cutter plan. This will always depend on the individual needs of your youth. For example, your young person may have other needs and challenges that necessitate more intervention and support than the spectrum indicates. So helpful and unhelpful things to say. Sometimes parents with the best of intentions might say something unhelpful, not realizing the impact on our youth. As a parent, I assure you, I said many unhelpful things. And as a clinician, I'm frequently asked, so what do I say in the moment? We want to remember the two-pronged response, as Sarah was mentioning, of validation and confidence. Note the unhelpful and unhelpful and unhelpful scripts in this slide, and note the difference in the messages and how they make you feel when you read them. So, for example, I know how difficult this is for you, and when the anxiety waves subsides even a little bit, let's walk to the car together. Sometimes we might be thinking or saying, "You were able to go to school yesterday. I'm really late. And need to go." So that's not as helpful. And so, for example, I can see you're really trying, and I wonder what strategy you could use right now that will be helpful versus I'm disappointed that you've been missing school so much. When I was a teenager, that wasn't even an option. So sometimes we might think that things are helpful and we are inadvertently sending a different message. For example, this may sound counterintuitive, Yet imagine if you were the manager of your, um, and your employee comes late one day. You may find that you want to talk with them and explain that the business requires them to be on time. The employee nods in agreement, and then the next day they're late again. And you discuss with them, perhaps even bringing them into your office and saying, I really need you to be on time. They nod yes, and then the pattern repeats itself for days, weeks, and even months. So consider what message you as the manager are sending. Is it, I need you to be at work on time? Or do you actually seem to be saying, I want you to be at work on time, but I have no idea how to make sure that you do that? So before we can act effectively as caregivers, we need to shift our possible inadvertent reinforcing of the message that there's nothing effective that we can do. This is where you can collaboratively work with the school and mental health professionals as needed and give the message to your youth that there is something that can be done and it's okay that it may take small, slow steps. So what if my teen stays home? We know many of you watching right now are facing this exact situation. Your youth may be at home not attending at all. The key message here is to watch out for any things that may make it extra fun or nice or even more comfortable to stay home 
in an effort to perhaps protect your youth from distress. I know as a mother how it feels to witness our youth upset and anxious and not able to cope, perhaps even crying in frustration or fear. Or sometimes we might see our youth get really angry with emotional outbursts and perhaps punch walls or throw objects in what we call externalizing behaviors when anxious. This is really tough to experience ourselves. Our instinct as caregivers is to protect and make it stop and certainly to make it better. So what we want to do instead is actually counterintuitive. We want to shift from protecting to supporting. Protect might look like making a special breakfast for a youth who stays home and highly anxious. And while this may be your caregiving tendency, it inadvertently reinforces that behavior and your youth staying home. Supporting, on the other hand, would look like you again sending the two-pronged message of validation and confidence. I can see how upset you are this morning thinking about going to math class, and I know that with support, it will get easier over time and with practice. So in supporting your teen's school attendance, a clear delineation of roles is really critical to preventing burnout for you and all support team members involved, as well as creating appropriate expectations. So that coordination and consistent messaging between everyone involved is, is really key. And therefore, it's important to make sure everyone involved is clear about their responsibility for supporting your youth school attendance. So caregivers are really responsible for communicating that confidence in their teen, as we've been talking about, and making sure that the home setting is as boring as possible during school hours, as well as ensuring as much as you can that your youth is getting enough sleep and getting up out the door in time to attend school. The youth, on the other hand, is responsible for a huge chunk of this work, but one primary thing, which is being brave and getting to school. The school team, regardless of which supports might be involved in that, are responsible for identifying the best schooling program for your teen, supporting and developing a school reintegration plan or an individualized education plan if needed, setting up school team meetings with all those players involved, and potentially liaising with a mental health clinician. And then if there is a mental health clinician involved, they're responsible for providing that individual therapy or maybe that caregiver support or coaching, as well as consulting with the school team to develop school reintegration plans or to support with developing individualized education plans, as well as attending those school meetings. So as a caregiver, there's a lot that we're asking you to do here. And sometimes um, getting additional support from a mental health professional can really help. Uh, and whether that's getting support to help set limits, to problem solve with your youth, or to respond to anxiety-driven behavior more effectively, um, or whether that's getting your own individual support. Either your local child and youth mental health and substance use services team 
uh, private therapist, here to help, or if you have access to an employee and family assistance program are great options. And Kelty Mental Health can also help you navigate this and find services that will be a good fit for you. And how do you know if your teen needs additional mental health support? And what can they support with? So individual therapeutic support with a mental health clinician for anxiety-based challenges might involve providing them with a little bit of information about what anxiety and avoidance is and how that shows up for them, helping them set goals and face their fears and making changes and helping motivate them to do so. And depending on your team's individual needs, other interventions may also be needed. And again, you can reach out to your local child and youth mental health and substance use services team, the Foundry, or Kelty Mental Health to connect with services. If your child could benefit from support regarding substance use, um, these mentioned, as well as the Vancouver School Board SASE Youth and Parent Engagement Workers, do have supports to address substance use, um, potentially in the context of anxiety as well. And substance use supports may vary if you're outside of the Vancouver Coastal Health Area. Um, and so again, the staff at the Kelty Centre can help you in navigating substance use supports throughout British Columbia. Some youth may also benefit from medication for psychiatric concerns and ongoing management, which can be discussed with your child's GP, pediatrician, or psychiatrist if you have one. And many of your teens may also have physical health conditions, and that may have led to school non-attendance to begin with, um, and that require really ongoing management and where accommodations to not attend school for medical appointments or to receive um, additional supports are really needed. So in summary of what we've talked about, a few take-home points. The work of facing your fears is difficult and can be really uncomfortable, but it's not harmful, particularly when everything is done at a manageable pace with good supports and collaboration. Those collaborators and team members are so key to this work, in particular your child's school, as well as other professional or personal supports. And, and because you're such a crucial part of this work, reach out for help if you need it. Supporting your youth school attendance is not easy, and it's likely that you will also experience some anxiety or potentially some, some distress along the way, and no one expects you to navigate every situation perfectly. This is really a process of baby steps and building on momentum, and there are supports to help you do this. So with good collaboration, supports, and a plan, your youth can flourish and it will get better. So we've included some resources here that will also be emailed in the next couple of days by the Kelty team. Um, a couple of books that we find really helpful that are directed towards caregivers, um, some online resources through Anxiety Canada, Kelty Mental Health, as well as the site that um, Julie Collette um, mentioned earlier regarding screen use and technology use. Um, as well as a link here to the SASE Substance Youth Health Promotion Initiative site. 
Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Anderson and Julie and Paula for that wonderful presentation. Um, at this point, I'd like to invite our panelists to join the discussion as well, Dr. Rosalind Catchpole and Natasha Gates. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. So as a reminder, if you do have a question for the speakers, please submit them using the Q&A icon that you can find at the bottom of your screen. And uh, we have about 10 minutes to uh, answer some questions. So we'll get right into them so we can answer as many as possible. Okay, so the first question is, um, how would you help a teenage student, in this case, a visible minority teenager who has been experiencing bullying since even before COVID began? And now with the online learning option being available, should parents let their child learn from this online option? Uh, Dr. Catchable? Yeah, so I can speak to this a little bit. And then, of course, others, please weigh in as well. So I think there's kind of two parts to this question. One is if there's challenging things going on at school or with peers from school, what we really want to look at is how do we build that team? So I think reaching out to the school counselor or, or admin, you know, to make sure that they're aware is, is one piece of this. And then the other piece, you know, which I'll speak to from the clinical point of view is really how do we make those decisions about when we sort of support that avoidance, like when it's a better idea, let's say to do the online learning and when it's a better idea to try to support you so that they're able to, you know, do a bit of that, um, to, to do the part of school that's in person. And I think that's probably beyond the scope of this webinar to answer for your particular teen. But I think some of the things to keep in mind is really, you know, first of all, how are they doing with that online modality? And then also, how does the rest of their functioning seem. So one negative thing that can sometimes happen for kids that are online only is, you know, the world can get smaller and it can get more stressful to do some of those, those other things that we know teenagers, you know, we want them to be able to do as they progress to adulthood. Um, but that being said, not everyone is the same. And so sometimes that actually is a really nice fit. But I would encourage you to, you know, just sort of think about those broader pieces about how your teen's doing um, in terms of that decision making. And then also, again, reach out to school. Great. Thank you. I don't see any other hands up. Okay, so the next question is from a parent whose daughter is in grade 10. Um, she can go to school, but is consistently late on arrivals. She struggles with school assignments and sleeps late and is hard to get up in the morning. She takes long naps during daytime. Um, and when the parent recommends talking to a counselor, the daughter is reluctant. She doesn't want the school to know her problems and worries that it'll have some negative effect on her in the future. For example, um, her problems will be kept in a file and might make university applications difficult. So should the daughter have that concern and what can the parent um, say to her daughter? Uh, Natasha? Hi, I can speak to the university and the um, information going into a school file and those concerns. Um, I would like to assure parents and, and, her, and this parent and her daughter that no information goes into a file that the universities have access to and it should not affect any university application. Um, so senior school counselor at a secondary level is a very personal, confidential relationship that does not go um, to post-secondary at all. And Julie, yep. And I just wanted to add that if in fact a, um, a child or youth needs child and youth mental health and substance use services, 
Again, that is confidential information and is not shared with schools or um, so so that is is a worry that hopefully uh, this child can be reassured that that is confidential. Thank you. Okay, so this next question was asked a few times. Uh, what type of ladder for school attendance can you do if your child is 100% distributed learning and refusing to do any work? Okay. I'll start. I'm sure there's lots of thoughts on this topic. I'm glad um, that you asked that, Michelle, because I do see sort of different versions of this question. And so I'll make, I guess I'll make some broad comments. One is, I hope one of the messages you've heard in this webinar today is the more challenging things are, the more important it really is to have a team in place. Um, and this goes about kids that are refusing to, you know, to, to do work, also to some of the questions around, like, how do I even get them out of bed? So it's, it, I think the, the really important message is that it's, it's really hard to do this alone, especially when that anxiety is so high or that avoidance has, has been around for so long that even the first step feels really big. So as a first step, if you don't already, I would say to any parent in that situation, do reach out to child needs mental health, to your family doctor, to really, as, as well as school, of course, supports, you know, to really get those players in place to help. Um, and then just, again, this is sort of a general comment, of course, um, you know, given the nature of this webinar, but it, it can be helpful to really sort of look down into like, really broadly speaking, if we're thinking about just functioning, maybe getting to school is like 10 steps down the ladder, but what are some things that matter to the youth? And what are some real, even just little baby steps that we might take in terms of that broad functioning picture Dr. Anderson talked about around things that give the youth meaning or, you know, get them out of the house or things like that. Um, so I think those are some of the things to think about as we're getting started on some of these things. And certainly, you know, there is a place for having some contingencies where, you know, there's certain expectations on the teen and then that's how they earn some privileges. But in a situation where it's really challenging or the youth's aggressive or things like that, I would really say you need to get that team in place so that you really know how to do that in a, in a safe and step-by-step -step way. So those are my initial comments. <laughs> that brings us to the end of the webinar. Apologies for the technical glitches we just experienced near the end of this presentation. If you had a question that we didn't get to today, please don't hesitate to contact us at the Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre and we would be happy to support you in answering your question. Thank you again to the presenters and panelists, as well as the attendees for joining us today.